Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. Our super saint for today is St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, Mother Cabrini, the first American citizen to be raised to the communion of saints. We want to take you back to the turn of the century in Italy and the United States. In Italy, times were hard and the land cruel and unyielding. So when the people of Italy heard of the promised land, they packed what little they had left their beloved mountains and roots to begin their dream for a better life in the new world. Not even the hot, sweltering holds of the poor steamers could dampen their hopes and expectations. As they spotted the Statue of Liberty, all their sacrifices, little or no sanitation, weeks of being seasick from the pitching and heaving caused by the turbulent waves rocking the ship, little food and less water, no air, no light, endless days and nights— all faded. Before them, behind the beautiful Statue of Liberty, was the magnificent skyline of their new home, New York City. Not even being herded like so much cattle onto Ellis Island discouraged them. They had hope. But they soon discovered this land of the free was not free for everyone. Everyone was equal, but some were more equal than others. They did not know the language, therefore they did not understand Americans, and Americans did not understand them. This was mistaken for ignorance, and they were treated as second-class citizens. The dream became a nightmare, with the unscrupulous taking advantage of the innocent. Unable to defend themselves, Italian immigrants worked in sweatshops, making slave wages and living under subhuman conditions. In times of crisis, God raises up super saints. On the other side of the ocean, God was raising up a powerful woman in the church whom he would use to aid her countrymen struggling to belong in this new land of hope. St. Francis Xavier Cabrini was born on July the 15th, 1850, in a little farming village in the northern part of Italy, the youngest of 13 children. The day she was born, she was baptized Maria Francesca. Her parents were holy people who instilled in their children a love of the Catholic faith. When evening came, the children would gather around their father and listen to stories of the saints. Francesca would later attribute her hunger to go to China as a missionary to his accounts of brave missionaries laboring in the missions. Although this was her desire, her parents felt that a vocation as a school teacher would be better for her. So they sent her to a convent school, where she remained until at 18 she earned her teaching credentials and began teaching. The children loved her. When smallpox hit the village, Francesca and her sister worked tirelessly helping the victims of the epidemic. She contracted smallpox, but was spared the scars. When she recovered, she was sent to another small village to take the place of a teacher who had fallen ill. It was there she met Father Antonio Serrati, who became a lifelong friend and advisor. Father Serrati was transferred to the small village of Codogno with an orphanage which was being poorly handled. He asked Francesca to come and work in the orphanage. Francesca walked into a situation filled with intrigues and infighting. The woman who financed the orphanage made herself head of it and was causing problems, the reason Francesca was asked to come in the first place. On the Feast of the Triumph of the Cross, September the 14th, 1877, she took her vows as a religious and Francesca was officially put in charge of the orphanage. The woman formerly in charge of the orphanage became unglued. 
Francesca's problems multiplied. The bishop closed the orphanage, though through the trials she endured in the orphanage, she was to gain the strength she would need to walk through other trials in her life. The bishop sat Francesca down and proposed, since she desired to become a missionary, and he did not know of any missionary order, she should found the missionary sisters of the Sacred Heart. Francesca, now Mother Cabrini, found an abandoned convent in Codogno. The bishop gave his consent, and the sisters moved in the same day, before any of the badly needed repairs were done. That day, November the 14th, 1880, became the official date of the beginning of the order. By 1887, she opened an orphanage and another school, plus five more convents. When she felt it was time, she and another sister left for Rome to present their little community to the Pope. When they spoke to a cardinal at the Vatican of their plans to open a convent in Rome, he told them it was out of the question. And yet two weeks later, he not only gave them permission to open one convent, but two convents in Rome. On the other side of the world, in the United States, Italian immigrants were being taken advantage of by unscrupulous employers and landlords who saw them not as people but as those who could be mistreated and misused because they were trying to make a place for themselves in competition with a vast sea of other immigrants trying to do the same. God raised up a hero for these immigrants, Bishop Scalabrini of the Diocese of Piacenza, Italy. He committed himself to helping the plight of those who had gone overseas in the hope of a better life, only to find that their life had become a living hell. He founded an order of missionaries, but the need far exceeded the help. Mother Cabrini and her sisters were just what was needed to help ease the explosive situation mushrooming across the ocean. The bishop asked Mother Cabrini to open a convent in New York, but as much as she sympathized with her countrymen's plight, her eyes were on the Far East. She rejected his proposal gently but firmly and never gave his proposition another thought. However, while she forgot about it, Bishop Scalabrini did not. The problem was escalating, and so was his urgency to turn it around. At the same time, Archbishop Corrigan of New York was feeling pressure from the Vatican to resolve the problems of the Italian immigrants. Many young girls in New York took to the streets as their parents could not feed them. They were left to their own devices or because of their innocence to those of very depraved people. The problem was reaching epidemic proportions. An Italian countess offered Archbishop Corrigan a home and financing for an orphanage for homeless Italian girls. At the request of Bishop Scalabrini, he invited Mother Cabrini and her community to come to New York and open the orphanage. Reluctant to say yes, she turned to the Holy Father. Now the Pope, aware of the problems in New York, had been praying someone would step forward to alleviate the suffering of his flock in the New World. His Holiness listened respectfully to Mother Cabrini as she shared how she really wanted to go to the missions in China. Our great Leo XIII smiled as he said, You must not go to the East, but to the West. Your mission will be in America to help the Italians and to make your country loved. True to her vow of obedience, she accepted the Holy Father's mandate as the final word and never mentioned the Orient again. She left for Italy, where she prepared the sisters to carry on without her for a while. Then she set out 
armed with letters from important personages in the Vatican, especially from His Holiness. One of the obstacles Mother Cabrini had to overcome on her voyage to the New World was the Atlantic Ocean. She had had a bad experience as a child when she fell into the river. She was saved from drowning by her guardian angel but never lost her fear of water. In addition, she was tackling one of the largest bodies of water in the world at the time of the year when the Atlantic is its roughest. She and her sisters were seasick throughout the crossing, but she never let on. She walked around trying to cheer them and the other 1,500 Italians aboard ship, most of whom also had never made a transatlantic voyage before. When they finally arrived in New York, Bishop Scalabrini's priests met them and provided dinner for them at the rectory. When Mother and the sisters asked to go to their convent, they discovered all was not as had been presented to them. They not only had no convent, they didn't have a place to stay that night. The priests brought them to one rooming house worse than the other until they found one that met their pocketbook and didn't look too bad. But they were in for a surprise. The mice and bugs waited until they had paid for the room before they came out to meet them. The priests had no explanation why there was no convent ready, but they assured her the archbishop would be able to unravel the mystery. To that end, Mother Cabrini prayed all night to the Sacred Heart as she sat on a hard chair protecting her girls from the New York vermin. The next day they offered their Mass in communion, that their meeting with the Archbishop of New York would turn out better than their first day in the United States. But when the Archbishop's first words were, How is it that you are here? I wrote you not to come at this time. Mother Cabrini almost lost her composure. The Archbishop explained that the funds for the convent and orphanage had been rescinded. He could see no solution but that the sisters returned to Italy on the same boat which had brought them across. Mother Cabrini's barely five-foot frame seemed to grow to six foot as she responded, We were sent here by the Holy Father, Your Excellency, and we cannot go back. We have been entrusted with a special duty, and we must fulfill it. When he asked for credentials, she whipped out letters from cardinals, bishops, and her trump card, the Pope. The archbishop's response, of course you will remain. It is the Holy Father's wishes. In New York at the end of the 19th century, there were too many Italians with too few churches. They had five Italian-speaking churches and 19 priests serving an estimated 50,000 Italians in New York City alone and no more than 1,200 attending Mass regularly. In addition, there were no schools, hospitals, or orphanages for the immigrants. When she discovered the bishop had a falling out with Countess Chesnola, the benefactress who had originally offered the funds for the orphanage and school, Mother Cabrini wasted no time. She met with the countess, and within a few weeks, she had the money and the building. Four months later, Mother Cabrini returned to Italy, leaving her sisters running the school and orphanage. She brought her first two American postulants with her to Italy. In four short months, Mother Cabrini had made miraculous strides for the Church of the Italians in New York. Her first school was bursting at the seams, little souls crowding the classrooms. Then, while still in Italy, she received a letter from the Jesuits offering to sell her property on the Hudson River at a reasonable price. Upon arriving in New York, Mother Cabrini immediately went upstate to the property and fell in love with it. 
When she found out it had no water on the property, she just smiled and said, "It doesn't matter. God will provide." Mother Cabrini went full steam ahead, moving everything from the city to their new home on the Hudson. No water. Mother called for a novena to Our Lady. Somewhere between the fifth day into the novena, she and her sisters, armed with picks and shovels, converged on a hill on the property. As they dug, they prayed. Suddenly, a sister cried out, "The ground had turned dark while she was digging." Mother's response: "Keep digging." They obeyed, and within a very short time, they all exclaimed, "Water was rising up out of the ground." They had dug into a spring of fresh water. To this day, that water keeps flowing and provides the property with ample water. One of Mother Cabrini's greatest accomplishments in New York was the Columbus Hospital, which began in 1892 on the fourth centenary of Christopher Columbus. When the Italian community of nuns who had been running a small hospital returned to Italy, Bishop Scalabrini offered it to Mother Cabrini. She wasn't sure she should take it as there were financial irregularities. Then one of her sisters reported that while working in a city hospital, they came upon an Italian who had a letter which he had been holding for three months because he couldn't find anyone to read it to him. Upon opening it, the sisters found it contained news of his mother's death. If he had been in their hospital, at least he would have known sooner, and they would have been able to console him. Then, to bring matters to a hasty conclusion, Mother Cabrini had a dream. Our Lady was tending the sick in the hospital. When Mother Cabrini asked Our Lady if she could help, Mother Mary rejected her, saying that she was doing the work Mother Cabrini refused to do. Mother assigned ten sisters to begin working in the hospital immediately. Mother Cabrini went forward with great caution because the owners of the hospital were not very reputable. Her suspicions were well founded. Within a few months, the administrators tried to make Mother Cabrini pay for the expenses of the hospital. She said she would, on condition she take full charge of the hospital. She was shown the door. She had a mandate from Mother Mary, and she refused to leave. Then the patients refused to leave. The Lord saved the day at the eleventh hour. Mother was able to purchase two buildings, which she turned into a hospital, and although smaller than the other hospital, she was able to place the patients there and got enough donations to buy new beds and some new equipment. The facilities were meager, but it was a beginning, and from this beginning grew the Columbus Hospital, now called Mother Cabrini Medical Center. Bishops throughout the world began asking Mother to open orphanages and schools in their dioceses. Pope Leo the Thirteenth had told her he wanted the missionaries of the Sacred Heart to extend the kingdom of God to all the world, and to that end she worked to the end of her life. During her lifetime, she opened convents and schools, orphanages and hospitals in her native Italy and various parts of Europe. She continued opening convents in the United States, in Chicago, New Orleans, Denver, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and on and on. Then she went to Central America, to Nicaragua, to Panama, to South America, including Argentina, Chile, and Peru. Especially fragile were the missions in Central and South America. The political climate was prone to swing greatly in either direction. 
The red carpet was extended her, to her, only to receive word three months later they had to evacuate the mission because the government had become unfriendly, or civil war had broken out and regimes had changed. Some very well-meaning religious ladies from Granada, Nicaragua, asked Mother to open a mission there. Mother and her sisters set out. The voyage could not have been worse. Almost as soon as they got into open waters, thunder and lightning and violent storms raged so fiercely. At times, it didn't seem the little ship would make it through the night. Mother stayed up all night praying the rosary. After ten days, the ocean portion of their journey over, their travel on land would be by horse and buggy. The sisters couldn't get over the people waving to them as they traveled to Granada. Mother Cabrini warned them not to be impressed; it wouldn't last. No sooner had they arrived, the situation arose which almost made her public enemy number one in Granada. They were having dinner at the home of the woman who had invited them to Granada. Everything was going well when the women servants came into the room to serve food, very scantily dressed. Mother Cabrini said that neither she nor her sisters could eat would eat until the situation was remedied. The hostess couldn't believe Mother was making this demand. However, the servants were made to cover certain areas with towels, and although initially they were not happy, they adjusted, and soon all the women accepted Mother Cabrini's dress code. Confrontation number two was a real problem. Mother would not allow girls to attend the new academy whose parents were not married. It was cause for major concern, as living together without the sacrament of matrimony was a way of life. They staged near riots at the convent doors, tried to break into the missionaries' quarters, and even fired guns to shake them up. Mother didn't budge. She was not about to compromise her principles or those of her community. Finally, after seven dangerous days, with the sisters living on the edge, the people gave in. Marriages took place, and they became her staunchest supporters. Less than two years later. Government troops came and ordered the convent, the school, and the orphanage closed within two hours, and all the sisters out of the country. Mother Cabrini was invited by the Bishop of New Orleans to come and help the Italians there. The plight of the Italians was at its lowest. She immediately set up a chapel. Bishop Scalabrini's priest brought the Blessed Sacrament, and the chapel soon filled with Italians coming to Mass each Sunday. They flocked like little lost lambs around shepherds. Only the shepherds were Mother Cabrini and her sisters. As in New York, Italians had been taken advantage of by dishonest men, but Mother Cabrini, armed with the strength of the angels of God behind her, with no great grasp of the English language, was not intimidated. She not only instilled the fear of God into corrupt politicians; she was able to get the police who loved her to give needed protection to the Italians. Regarding her work with the Italians in Louisiana, historians wrote, and when the latter corrupt politicians tried to frighten her by giving her a sinister warning, she, a tiny woman, simply warned them of the justice of God and left them speechless. Towards the end of the 19th century, an epidemic broke out in New Orleans. The people were devastated. All the schools were closed. The sisters made and distributed hundreds of scapulars of the Sacred Heart. They prayed. The ec- epidemic passed, and all who wore the scapular were saved. Mother Cabrini felt at home among the faithful of Louisiana. She didn't want to leave them when the time came for her to move on. No one ever does. 
No matter where Mother Cabrini turned, the Lord opened her eyes to problems, whether in Spain, Argentina, Denver, Colorado, or right in her own backyard in Rome. She traveled to Rome to relocate one of her schools. She became aware the area designated did not have a church. This is tantamount to sacrilege in Rome, where there are usually two churches on every street. But this area was a stronghold of an anti-Catholic group. She took them on with her characteristic energy. She explained the situation to Pope Leo XIII. He gave her the money to begin construction of a church, and in short time, the faith was thriving, thanks to the ongoing yes of Mother Cabrini. The Bishop of Denver invited Mother to open a house there because of the plight of Catholics in that area. Most Italians were unchurched in Denver and the surrounding areas. They worked hard and long hours, and by the time Sunday came, the one day in the week where they could rest, they didn't want to rise early, get dressed, and go to church. Mother Cabrini could see an even greater problem. As the parents did not honor God on the Sabbath by worshiping at his church, the children would grow up with the same mindset. To compound the problem, there were no Catholic schools for the children to get a Christian education. Mother Cabrini believed that the Lord had to be brought into every aspect of life, and the best way to do that was through the Catholic schools. So she opened a school in Denver, Colorado, in 1903. The school brought the parents out of hibernation. The little church filled very quickly on Sunday, making it necessary for many masses to be celebrated outdoors. No problem for the little missionary of Christ. By the community's Silver Jubilee in 1905, Mother Cabrini had a thousand sisters in 50 houses all over the world, as well as 5,000 orphans under their care. It was a great tribute to the little farm girl from the hills of northern Italy. In 1909, while she was in Seattle, she became an American citizen, resulting in her one day becoming the first American citizen to be canonized. Throughout her life and everything she did, she walked her talk. Quote, I travel, work, meet with a thousand difficulties, but all these are nothing as long as you are faithful, observant, and generous, and prove yourselves true members of the Institute. If she received a mandate from His Holiness Pope Leo XIII or his successor, Pope St. Pius X, to her it was the Lord speaking through his Pope. Pope Leo XIII gave her the authority to forge ahead, knowing she would get the job done. His words encouraging her at different times in her life, Let us work, Cabrini. Let us work, for after there is a beautiful paradise. Miracles occurred during Mother Cabrini's lifetime. One evening in September, a fire broke out at the mother house in Codogno. Mother Cabrini rushed to the scene only to see swirling winds agitating the fire encroaching upon the dormitory, threatening the girls inside who were fast asleep, oblivious to the impending danger. Her lips moving unceasingly, softly intoning prayers, Mother Cabrini's eyes never left the fire. Looking up to heaven, she raised a reliquary containing relics of saints and blessed, made the sign of the cross, and the fire made a 90-degree turn and moved off, leaving the girls in the dormitory unharmed. Oh, Jesus, I love you very much. Give me a heart as big as the universe. Tell me what you wish that I do, and do with me as you will. 
December the 22nd, 1917, her heart, having spent itself, served her lord and his vicar's mother Cabrini, the nun and foundress, who said these words, died at age 67 in her convent in Chicago. We can be assured that our Lord Jesus, Mother Mary, all the angels and saints were there to welcome her into the kingdom as she was escorted by an entourage of tens of thousands of Italian immigrants who had gone to heaven because of her work and that of all her sisters all over the world. Mother Cabrini, like another mother we know, Mother Angelica, challenges us to allow God to use us. In her own words, in your actions, your words, and your sufferings, seek always the greater glory of God. A dispensation from Canon Law 2101 was granted by the Vatican, allowing the cause for her canonization to be opened in 1928 after she had been dead for only 11 years. Mother Cabrini was declared venerable on November the 1st, 1937, Feast of All Saints' Day. One year and 12 days later, she was beatified on November the 13th, 1944. And then on January the 11th, 1944, she was the first American citizen to be canonized and the first canonization of the pontificate of Pope Pius XII. We pray Mother Cabrini's words will make an imprint on your hearts. If you know how to draw souls by your zeal, your good example, and your exemplary religious conduct, you may be assured the gates will be opened for you also. Speak often of heaven to those who approach you. Make them love it as well as the virtues which are required before we can be admitted to our blessed country. Mother Cabrini is proof positive of the fact that with God, nothing is impossible. We find that any time she would go to the Lord to help her in anything she needed, it, would, it happened. It gives us a great deal of confidence. I'm smiling as Bob is talking because as he was writing this chapter on Mother Cabrini, I have a little secret to share with you. He would very often have to go back and take out Mother Angelica instead of Mother Cabrini. Here we are in another century with a great a saint, a saint whose family originated in Italy. We, we love, love you. you. God, God bless. bless you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.